Welcome back to our study of the book of Proverbs, and we're still in um, Proverbs chapter 6, and we're looking at verses 20 through 23. Now, I want to go back just, just for a moment, and I want us to put us in the right context again. So in verses 1 through 5, we have rashness. That's making decisions that are quick and unwise. Then in verses 6 through 11, we have slothfulness. And I always want to tell young people, remember, in the movies, slothfulness may be seen, or laziness may be seen as something quite uh, amusing or comical. But the Bible sees it as sin. The wrong use of our talents, the wrong use of our time, the wrong use of, uh, or the no use of God's grace that is given to us. Verses 12 through 19 is wickedness, a settled and determined disobedience against God. And so all of these, along with, let's go to verses, of course, 24 through 35, he's going to talk about unfaithfulness, particularly with regard to marriage and the family. Now, all these are kind of representative of the world that we live in. Very, very dangerous. And uh, you say, well, that's not dangerous to me. I'm homeschooled, or that's not dangerous to me. I'm a Christian, or that's not dangerous to me. You know, uh, I go to church every Sunday. No, it's dangerous to all of us. A text that I read every time is 1 Corinthians 10, 11 through 14, but let's just look at verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. You know who are the only people who don't fall? Are those who sincerely believe that they can. And they're constantly taking preventive measures according to the word of God to protect themselves because they do not trust themselves and they know that they constantly need the grace of God. Now, in the middle of all this sin, the Bible tells us that in this, uh, in this dark and dangerous sea, God has given us a light, and it is his word. So if we look in verses 20 through 23, and we'll be looking at verse 21, but let's read the entire passage. Verse 20. My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother, Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Most importantly, thank you for your word because it points out our need of you. And it leads us to the only one who can meet that need, Jesus Christ. And I pray for the young people, Lord, who are watching this video, that they will recognize that as the law shows them they're sinners, so the book of Proverbs shows them that they are fools. And that in both cases, we need to be reconciled to you through your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, God, please, please shed the light on all our sin so that we might see our need of your son and his death on Calvary. Oh, Father, let the young people see more than principles here. Let them see Jesus. In his name, amen.
Now, before we go on, let me repeat something that I said in my prayer, and I always want you to remember this, especially those of you who are raised in Christian families or are homeschooled, and your parents have wisely taught you principles and commands, and maybe your style of life from a young age has been different from those around you. Recognize that you still need a savior that our own righteousness, our own obedience, our difference from the world won't save us, that all of us are sinners, every one of us. The best child ever born is a sinner, and you need Jesus. And all the principles and all the teaching and all the obedience and all the fight against sinful culture is not gonna save you. The only one who can save you is the one who died. Um, he bore your sin. He suffered the punishment that you deserved, and he died in your place. Uh, a person who knows nothing about the book of Proverbs, who was raised entirely in a pagan home, who right before their death, they trust in Christ as their only hope, they're better off than all the kids in the world who were raised in Christian homes, but see very little need of Jesus Christ. So I always want us to remember that as we're studying the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs in itself cannot save you. It can only save you by sending you to Jesus. It's the same way with the law. Obedience to the law is a wonderful thing, an honorable thing, a thing that we should all seek, but our obedience will not save us. It is only Jesus Christ. All right, so in verse 20, we have a call to obedience. It says, My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Now, observe and do not forsake. Faithfully keep, do not abandon, do not let go of the commandment. So that's a call to obedience. Now we're going to see the means to obedience. It's, is how can we live in such a way as to cultivate obedience to God's word? So in verse 21, he says, bind them, that is the commandments, the teaching, continually on your heart, tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. So verse 21, bind them continually on your heart and tie them around your neck. Now, now look, this is... I've taught you about Hebrew parallelisms before. So imagine this, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When he says that, he's not dividing up who you are into different categories. He's piling one term upon another to say, love God with everything that you are, everything that you are, whatever you are, love God with that. It's the same way here. He's saying with regard to the word of God, bind it, tie it, do whatever you have to do to make it a part of you. So there's a word that we often use when we're teaching. It's called internalize the word, that it becomes a part of you. So I want us to look. He says, first of all, bind them continually on your heart. So the words that come to mind are read, read it, study it, memorize it, meditate upon this, meditate upon it and do this continually. Now, when we talk about meditation, some of you are probably thinking, oh my, do you know, do I go sit up on top of a mountain and cross my legs and chant? No, the word meditation is used in the Bible and it has nothing to do with trying to find truth within yourself 
or to call it from the universe somehow. Meditation is reading God's word, studying God's word, memorizing God's word, but then playing it over and over and over in our mind, thinking about it till it becomes a reality to us. I want us to turn for a moment to Proverbs chapter 4, and I want you to look at where this is really emphasized. He says, chapter 4, verse 20 and 21, my son, again, a term of endearment, he wants the best for his child, and this is how the child can get the best. Give attention to my words first. Incline your ear to my saying. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Now, he just keeps going, keeps piling one phrase on top of another to say, let the word of God become a part of you, become a part of you. Now, let me give you a, 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 an illustration from, from, um, from training with regard to fighting is whether it's boxing or Taekwondo or anything like that, there are certain ways in which you learn to block a punch or you learn to watch somebody and you know that when they do a certain thing, it means they're gonna do something else. A man drops his shoulder. You know, okay, if he does that every time before he throws a punch, then you watch that shoulder and when it drops, you know what's going to happen. Then there's also this idea of you almost react before you think because you've seen it so many times. So they get you to, to move your hand to block a punch and to block a punch and to block a punch and to block a punch. And then one day you walk into the uh, training center and the trainer throws a punch straight at you. You've got your bag on your shoulder and everything. You haven't even dressed to get out in the ring and fight. And I mean, throws a punch at you and automatically, it's amazing, your hand blocks it. Even, even before you even hardly think about it, it just becomes a part of you. Well, that's a kind of a limited reaction, a, a limited illustration, but it does kind of show you something, that if you keep renewing your mind in the Word of God, things become a pattern. They become a way of life. You almost don't even have to think about it. It's, it's the power of renewing your mind in the Word of God. If a little boy watches his dad, and every time the mother maybe shows disrespect or something, the dad just blows up and loses his top. The boy watches that over and over for years, and guess what? It's gonna be very hard for that boy not to do the same thing. It's almost a pattern that's become ingrained in him. Well, it's the same way with studying the scriptures. Your mind is going to conform to something. It's gonna to conform to conversations in the world, it's gonna to conform to social media, television, movie, teaching, why not allow your mind to be conformed to the will of God as it is revealed to us in the scriptures? And so bind them continually on your heart. Now in verse, like I said, verse uh, chapter four, verse 20, he says, my son, give attention to my words. Pay attention. Look at me. Look at me. You know, I can remember my dad when he would, you know, tell me something to do on the, on the ranch, whether it was to cut hay or to bring in certain cattle or something like that. He said, now, now look at me. This is what I need you to do. Because if I work all day, but I do something that's the opposite of what he asked me, then my work, he's not very pleased. Pay attention. 
And one of the things when you're a child, you may not recognize this, but you're pretty scatterbrained. And that's why parents are always saying, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. And then you, your parents tell you to do something, you go off and do the opposite, and when you come back, what do they say to you? Why didn't you pay attention? I told you what to do. So he's saying, give attention to my words. Now, before we go on, let me say this. One of the, one of the most grievous ways that you can show disrespect to a person is not to listen to them. Because basically what you're saying is you have nothing to say to me. Whatever you say to me is not that important. Well, it's terrible to do that with a friend. It's even worse to do that to an authority figure like a parent. But how grievous is it when you do that with God? God says, give attention to my words. And you don't. You don't. Give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my saying. It's, it's bend over. Listen. Draw close. You know, we, we, can, we can see that like when... When someone's speaking very, very softly and you want to hear them, your just natural movement is to incline yourself toward that sound and then turn your head a little and try to listen with all your might. Uh, sometimes when I've been deer hunting and it's still dark, you know, and you, you can't shoot yet because it's still dark, but you know there's movement. You hear things and you kind of incline yourself to where that sound's coming from and you're trying to listen. Is that a squirrel? Is that a deer? Is that a coon? What is it? You see? So that's what it is. It's, you're paying attention because it's important to you. You're inclining your ear toward it because you really want to hear it. Now, here's the thing that I want you to see. Paying attention, inclining your ear, and even grasping or comprehending what God says is not enough. You say, well, what else? Well, look what else it says. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Here's the point. Uh, you can go backwards spiritually. You can go backwards with regard to obedience. Did you know that? It's not enough just to learn something. You've got to keep it in your heart. Um, Satan is kind of described as like a bird that when seed is thrown on the ground, it's there on the ground, but he comes and he sweeps down and he picks it up and takes it away. I have seen people who seem to be growing greatly in the Lord and learning things and then see them another year later and it's like they forgot everything they learned and they're going backwards. Um, it's like the word has been snatched out of their heart. And so it's not just learn this, but don't let it depart from you. So you say, well, you know, I read Proverbs 6 once. Well, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. That, that's why we recommend reading through the entire Bible once a year, at least, you see, because you need to hear it over and over and over and over and over again. Peter in his epistles talks about, I want to remind you, I want to remind you, I want to remind you, I want to remind you of what you learned so that you do not forget it. So do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. So we're to internalize the word of God and that's work. We have to study Memorize, meditate, read. But then it's the idea of keeping it there. Keeping it there. You know, you don't, you know, when you're 
born, you come out of the womb, you know, you take your first breath. You can't take a big enough breath so that you don't have to breathe for the rest of your life. You can go today and eat, eat for 24 hours. You'll be sick, but you can do it. But you'll be hungry tomorrow. And the whole point is, I think that's why God made us. We have to breathe every moment. We have to drink water every so often during the day. We have to eat every so often during the day, and we have to get up in the morning and do it again. I think in a way, maybe God is using these physical things to show us this is the way we treat the Word of God. You have to breathe it in all the time. You have to drink it all the time. You have to feed upon it all the time. And you need to be very, very careful that the vultures don't come and steal it away. And, and sometimes, listen, the devil can come to steal away the word, and, and he doesn't always dress like a devil. Um, in, in the Song of Solomon, it talks about little foxes that spoil the vineyard. Little distractions that constantly keep you from studying the word of God. Little distractions. And guess what? Those distractions, sometimes they're good things. They're just not the best. They're just not the best. And we're going to see that. So he says, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, in the very center of your heart. And then Psalms 1, 2, it talks about the godly man. And it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Now, day and night in Hebrew means day and night. If it meant something else, I think they would have translated something else. This is not, you know, this is not rocket science. It really means make the word of God the beginning, middle, and end of your day. It's so very important, so very important. And young people, I would rather have you reading the word sincerely for 20 minutes a day than I would, you know, every day, than I would having you regret how you've neglected the word and then read the word for two hours and then not read it again for six weeks. Little by little, every day, build up. I always tell people, if you're not reading the word of God at all, can you start tomorrow reading five minutes? Doesn't sound like much, but it's a lot more than zero. And maybe in, a, in three or four weeks or a month, move that up to 10 minutes and little by little grow because I would rather have you doing that than taking a big drink and not drinking again for several days. All right. Now he says, bind them continually on your heart, tie them around your neck. Now, what he's trying to do here is he's trying to give you, again, he's trying to emphasize that they're always before you. They're, they're always reminding you that the word of God is kind of put in a place where you can't forget it. You know, um, during the Reformation, before the Reformation, the pulpit and the Word of God was always off to one side in the church. But in the Reformation, they brought the Word of God in the pulpit in the very center. And you say, well, that, that's just imagery. That's just figurative. Well, they actually did it, but the image was important. They were saying, when you walk into this church, the Word of God is going to be center stage and it's going to be the controlling factor because it tells us who God is, who Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, and it tells us the will of God. It's at the very, very center. And so 
you know, that may be helpful for you as a physical reminder. Don't put your Bible away in a drawer. Put it where you can see it. That it reminds you every time you walk in your room or whatever, there's nothing more important in your day than studying the Word of God. Now, this is proven very, very powerfully in Deuteronomy 6, 8. And this is what he says. You shall bind them, those are the commands, as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, uh, I've been to Israel. And if you go, uh, not just to the Wailing Wall, but if you go to different places in Israel, particularly Jerusalem, you will see people who have these little boxes that are full of scripture, and then they have them tied with leather bands all on their forearm, and some right here on their forehead. I mean, it is literally wrapped around their forehead, and it's a box of scripture. Now, that's not what, that's not what was meant here. This is not what God meant. This is, this is a figure, this is uh, an illustration, this is to put a picture in our mind, because you could tape scripture all over your forehead and it doesn't mean anything. You could bind it not only on your arm, but your leg, your feet, around your waist, wherever you, but that's not the point. The point is, is that it is to be always with you, always teaching you, always impacting you. Now. You say, Brother Paul, I can't read the Bible 24 hours a day. No, you can't, and neither can I. But I can tell you this, the more you read the Bible, the more it will be with you, and the more it will guide you. When people talk to me about, how do I pray biblically? So when we talk about praying biblically, and, and, and it's important, why? Because there's a lot of people who pray in a manner that's just not biblical. They're driven by their emotions and all sorts of things. Um, People say, well, how do I learn to pray biblically? Well, some people say, just pray, pray the prayers in the Bible. Just pray them literally. And, and their whole prayer life is just going to passages of Scripture and reading them to God. I don't recommend that. But I also don't recommend you being driven by your emotions uh, with regard to pray, prayer. Here's what I recommend. Read the prayers. Read the prayers all throughout the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. Read the prayers, uh, prayers like in Ephesians 1 or Ephesians 3. Read the prayers. Just, just read them. Not during your prayer time, in your study time. Read them over and over and over. And you know what will happen? You're renewing your mind and all of a sudden you will begin to see gradually that um, you're praying is being conformed to the prayers of God's Word. Not in a mechanical sort of way where you're just reading the prayer, but as you read biblical prayers, then your prayers will start being impacted. When you pray for other people, you, you may not even know it, but the prayers are becoming more and more biblical because your mind is being renewed in biblical prayers. And, and that's the idea here, is that you're just constantly feeding upon the Word of God so that it, it just comes to you like a friend. Um, I had a professor who wrote a book, a workbook called The Mind of Christ. And the whole thing was to study the teachings of Jesus Christ until literally it was just, without you really even knowing it, it was creating 
a pattern and a way of thinking in your own mind. Now, he also says this. He says, bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. Now, usually, what do we put around our neck? At least a lot of young ladies will do this. It's uh, put a necklace. Why? As an adornment, as something beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's what I want you to see, particularly you young ladies. What, what are we being taught here? Let the commandments, the teachings, be your adornment, just like a necklace. Now, let your life reflecting the will of God, let it be what people see in you. Let it be what you're known by and what makes you exceptional and attractive. Now, I want to dwell on this for just a minute because it's so important. So many, um, particularly young ladies, um, in the last few years have become, uh, suffered dreadfully. Um, some uh, depression, others anorexia, all kinds of things. And I think that one of the reasons is is they go on social media and they see all these other young ladies who uh, have spent 20 hours, <laughs> you know, preparing themselves for some kind of Instagram photo. And then that's being touched up and everything else. And there's this image of beauty that's being portrayed out there that is just totally and completely unrealistic. It is just, it's just twisted. It's impossible. Okay, so they're putting a goal out there that is literally impossible. And I can also tell you for even a discerning young man, you look at it and you go, I don't want any part of that. That's not attractive. Someone who would be so concerned with their physical appearance that it would be their their job to fix themselves up and portray themselves on social media. It, it's just really shows how fallen we've become. Now, what, what is the thing that we should be doing? Growing in virtue, growing in Christ-likeness. Let that be the thing. So, you know, you see these girls and, and supposedly, you know, they do all this and they're known for their beauty or they're known for whatever, okay? But you have to ask yourself, what do you want to be known for? And the Bible tells you what you should be known for. No, it, it doesn't tell you to neglect your physical appearance or don't care about it. What it's saying is put first things first. And the number one thing that you want to be known for, whether you're a young girl or a young man, is you want to be known for Christ-like godly virtue. You want to be famous for that. Not because of your hairstyle or your clothing or the way you... No, you want to be famous and known in the gates of the city, as we see in Proverbs 31 about the virtuous woman. You want to be known for your virtue. And I want to tell you something. The, the proverb is true that a, a, a beautiful woman without virtue is like a gold ring in a pig's nose. It, it's really, really true. Uh, it doesn't matter the, the, the physical appearance and the beauty of that physical appearance. Uh, if the woman has no virtue, no, no godliness, no intelligence, no compassion, no holiness, 
It's just, it's just distorted and ugly, dislocated and, and wrong. And so I really want to appeal to the young ladies out there that you would give yourself to virtue. If you're going to adorn yourself, and there's nothing wrong with a necklace or, or things like that, but if you're going to adorn yourself, make it be the Word of God, the Word of God. And I want to read this again. Let your adornment, let what people see, what, let what you're known by be virtue. Let people say, this, that girl or that young man is exceptional. They are extremely attractive because of their Christ-likeness. Do you see that? Now, I know people don't talk like this very much, but we should, because that's the true beauty. Um, Proverbs 3.22, it says, So they, the commands, will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. They will make you beautiful. Obedience to Christ will make you beautiful to God and to those people who really matter. Now, I want us to go for just a moment to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I also want to show you something. It, it goes beyond just physical beauty. Um, it's one of the most important passages, I feel like, in Scripture. Proverbs 4, 6 through 8. So he's talking about, he's urging Israel, when you go into the promised land, where there are Gentiles and others, he goes, you need to keep the commandments. And then he says, why? Deuteronomy 4, 6. So keep and do them. Not just keep them, but do them. Practice them. For that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all the statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. You see that? It's obedience to the commands of God that set them apart as a great nation and as a wise and understanding people. Um, to the degree that a nation, any nation, submits itself to the word of God, it will be a great nation, wise and understanding. To the degree that it departs, well, it's the opposite of wisdom. Foolish, what's the opposite of great? Insignificant, what's the opposite of understanding? Again, ignorant. And then it goes on, verse 7. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it, as is the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? Now, Israel was to be known for two things. The closeness of God to them a real and abiding relationship with God and submission to the will of God that would make them exceptional among the people. It's the same way. If you go down through church history, men and women that have done exceptional things in the name of Christ, whether it's missionary activity or even in governments of nations, this is it. They have been persons who have had a close relationship with God through Christ. And they were persons who submitted themselves to the will of God. They knew the will of God and they obeyed the will of God. And this is what you must do. And I, I plead with you. 
you know, young guys want to be known for their, I don't know, their physicality, their sports, maybe their wealth. Um, young girls maybe want to be known for their intelligence and beauty and grace. Some of that is fine, but what you need to understand is that it's not the best. The best is to be known by your conformity to Jesus Christ. And that will be your true strength, your true beauty. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you will use it in, in the life of, of your people especially the young Lord, that they would turn away from all the nonsense in this world, all the clatter, all the clamoring, uh, so many voices, most of them not good. Help the children, oh God, help the young people to recognize their every moment need of thee, to cling to your word, to draw upon your strength in prayer. Please, Lord, help them. In Jesus' name, amen.